Hello guys, welcome back to Diverse Unity, the podcast in which we discuss ter- current topics, and by current topics, I mean topics that's been discussed by human history, of all human history, uh, de- whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> I am your host, Keith Stout, the man, the myth, the legend, and with me today is my great friend, Dylan Duvall. How are you doing, Dylan? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, can't complain, man. Can't complain. Well, <laughs> so me and Dylan's been good friends for a fat minute now. How long has it been? Probably five years? Four or five yeah, years? Yeah, it was, I would, uh, so it was my junior year of high school when we actually became friends and I hung your sock monkey at camp. It was a wild time. <laughs> so that was about five years. That was about five or six years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was about yeah, I think five years. It's been about five years. We've been good friends since then. Ever it all started with the sock monkey and can't, <laughs> it created a bond that cannot be severed now. <laughs> That's what happened. That's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, but me and Dylan, we uh we became good friends when he uh came to my church for the first time. Well, it wasn't the first time that you started coming, but you started coming regularly. Then we went to church camp. You became a believer at church camp five years ago, and then it's been a wild ride ever since. (laughs) Well, today we are going to be discussing a topic that I actually love to discuss a lot, but it causes a lot of controversy as well a lot of division it's caused a lot of division in both of our lives honestly dylan with a lot of a lot of people that we've known <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it has <laughs> but it has You're about that. <laughs> i'm not but the topic we're going to be discussing is calvinism now for those of you who don't know what calvinism is i'll try my best to explain it real briefly calvinism is a type of theology based around uh, the doctrines of grace, a.k.a. soteriology. Uh, Calvinism goes a lot deeper than just just the doctrines of grace. It goes also into uh, uh, how you worship. It goes into covenantal theology versus dispensational. There's a lot to Calvinism, but when people hear it, the main things they think of is the doctrines of grace, and we can summarize those into five points. And every, I think, the people who know Calvinism, they know Calvinism by these five points, and those five points are abbreviated into uh, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Great flower. Oh yeah, the great flower. So in short, uh, the T stands for total depravity, which means all men are sinful from uh, conception, which is the idea of original sin. We're sinful, and because we're sinful, no one will seek after God. We don't want God. Our nature is we want to do our own uh, selfish desires, and so no one is going to ever seek out God, seek out salvation. You is unconditional election. That's the idea that God has sovereignly chosen uh, his church since uh, uh, eternity past. He's had his church 
chosen, not based on anything they do, so that's the unconditional part, not based on any foreknowledge of them accepting salvation, not based on their holiness, not based on anything except for God's will in their life. The L stands for limited atonement, which means Jesus' Jesus' death only applies to the elect, the ones who were unconditionally elected. Then we have irresistible grace, which means the Holy Spirit, whoever the Holy Spirit comes and draws in, in the process we call regeneration, uh, no, you won't deny it. You will embrace salvation. You will embrace God's love and became, become a child of his. And then we got the P, which is perseverance of the saints which is the ideology that when you become saved, you will always persevere in that salvation. You will always have that faith, not because of anything you do, but because uh, God sovereignly holds you in his hands and he will not let you go because he is that great father that we believe in. Is that a good summary you think, Dylan? Good enough for you? Yep. Yep. Good enough for me. I like it. All right. So me and Dylan both are Calvinists. So this is going to be obviously a more biased talk on pro-Calvinism. I plan on getting with a guy soon to discuss uh, why uh, he believes Calvinism is wrong. So we won't just be doing one-sided on this podcast. We will show both sides. But for today, we're just going to be discussing the pros, the reasons why we believe in Calvinism. So Dylan, if you don't mind uh, to tell us, how is it that you became a Calvinist? Right. Okay. So beginning off, me me and Keith, neither one of us were Calvinists to start with. Um, and then, you know, Keith became a Calvinist. Um, and then he told me about Calvinism and he told me and he showed me the verses and all that and like I wasn't sold right, right away but eventually through my own study like you know like okay so a big turning point for me is when I came across the book of Romans <laughs> uh, especially chapter 9 right yeah um, so in chapter 9 the book of Romans uh, a lot of people's a lot of people argument a lot of people's arguments of, about uh, against Calvinism uh, starts with free will, right? Yeah. Um, they believe they have the free will to choose God, and then I read Romans nine, uh, and Romans nine doesn't really doesn't really uh, give that <laughs> at all. Uh, it doesn't support the claim of free will and the choice of salvation at all, actually. So let's let me just go to through a few verses here. Uh, in verse thirteen of Romans nine, it, it says, "As it is written, Jacob I love, Esau I hated." So we know all know, or some people know the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob was the youngest brother. Typical of the time, the older brother was the one that would get the inheritance. But it was Jacob who got the inheritance over Esau. Esau was the older brother. Uh, and this is God speaking in Romans chapter 9, verse 13. And it says, as it is written, Jacob I love, be Esau I hated. Uh, and then it says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
Um, so like, it's just it's laying out that God is ha- God is chosen here. The God chooses us. Uh, also, you know, if you go to Romans three, I, I, like a lot of this has its central into Romans. Uh, in Romans three, it talks about that no one is good. No one searches after God. No one no one comes after God in any way. So if you're telling me that someone that is spiritually dead, like we're told in like Romans six for the wages of sin is death, since we are spiritually dead and we are hostile towards God at any point in our deadness of sin, how could we possibly ever make the choice of I'm going to choose God here? You know, what? Mm. I've, I, I've lived in this sin long enough now, now I'm just, you know, he's, I come to the conclusion living in sin kind of sucks now. It's not my cup of tea. I'm going to give this God thing a try. Like, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. <laughs> at all. It's, 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 it's just such a wrong way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and sim- similar for me, too, kind of, mm-hmm. for my... my uh, coming around and conversion to it i remember i grew up uh where it was an evil evil doctrine it was it was something that if you hear it you just kind of cringe at like i can't believe these people i can't believe these people believe in it i mean haven't they read john 3 16 before (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) And, and so it always blew my mind that people believed in this but of course you know growing up you don't really seek out for yourself knowledge like it's it's you got to mature in a way to be able to Mm -hmm. go and try to learn for yourself and that's not something i wanted to do but when i became a youth minister and i started teaching and we decided to go through the the book of Romans. What what do you know? Uh, and I had to do a lot of study on that. So once we got to Romans, it was really Romans eight. So for you, it was Romans nine, but for me, yeah. it was Romans eight. And uh, yeah. the verses where it says, uh, uh, "For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son." And then it says. Uh, Hold up, let me pull it up so I don't misquote it. Romans yeah. eight, it's twenty nine and twenty nine and thirty, I believe. Yeah, and those whom he predestined, he also called; those whom he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that verse brought me to it because it's it's saying that when God says you are predestined, this is your this is who you are, and then I'm going to call you, and then if I call you, that means you're going to be justified. It is, it is not a, if I call you, then you you have that option, and you're going to decide on yourself whether you're going to be justified or not, and we'll go from there and see what happens. No, if he calls you, then you will be justified. Those whom he called, he also justified. It is it is all God's work. So I saw that, and it started really bringing me to it. And then I started getting into the teachings of uh, R.C. Sproul and John Piper, or the big ones that really brought me. I read uh, Chosen by God, which is a book that I think everyone needs to read, not just Calvinists. But if you if you have no idea where you are on the fence of this, I, I suggest going first and foremost 
to uh, R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God because he really lays out that foundation of what 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 this doctrine is and why it is biblical. But and like you said, it, it wasn't like an overnight thing. It wasn't. Uh, I'm just going to now believe this because this is a teaching. It t- because this is what I'm reading now. It took a lot of convincing, especially since I had a. Uh, that that distaste for it for so long in my life so but yeah it and it 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 really radical yeah i I think radicalized is the right word even though most people are going to see that as kind of a negative it radicalized me in my faith i don't know if this is the Mm. same for you but as soon as i started embracing these it was just like an explosion of growth afterwards yeah definitely um I know for me, personally, in my growth, when I had finally come to the conclusion that this is the right way of looking at it, I don't know. Uh, so, obviously, like, God revealed this to me, that I think Calvinism helps in a way of looking at sin and realizing how deep that sin is and how dead you are, what the actual word, when it says you're dead in your sin, what that actually means. I feel like that's what, I think that's where calvinism really shines is it shows like in the first uh, word of the tulip uh the t is a total depravity uh we are totally depraved human beings and what does that mean it means that we are slaves to our sin right mm. uh, it's and like what slave would talk back to their master no slave would mm, yeah and, we, and sin was our, and sin was our master and we were freed from that by what Jesus, by what Jesus did on the cross, and to think that after what Jesus did on the cross and him not and just being leaving it up to you, it's like okay, you can go back to the master you've always known, or you can or you can come with me. <laughs> but, you know, you know, like, why would you leave something you're familiar with? Like that's like you don't want to like we're not as people we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to leave our comfort zone. Why mm. would we leave something that we know that we've known for so long and that's sin? Yeah, um, and it's also. And like, with with it, the slave mm-hmm. imagery, uh, in that time when you would talk about being a, uh, the Greek word is doulos there, when Romans yes. when Paul is talking about it in Romans when, when you're talking about being a doulos, you are, you're not only just not going to talk back to your master, but you're, you're loyal, you're dedicated to that master. Yeah. So there's yeah. you're not going to turn away from that master because that's that's who you want to serve yes yeah yeah uh so like the the verse that comes to mind is uh romans 6 uh and it's verse 17 it goes it says but thanks be to god that you were that you who were once slaves of sin become obedient from the heart to which the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Even then, in verse eighteen, it says, "Having and having been and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." We've traded one master in for another. We've traded in death for life. Mm. It's not like it gives a you know, like. It's not like it says, "Oh, we we we've been set free from sin, but now we have another master, which is God." Why do we call him master, and why do we call our slave or call ourselves slaves to God? Why does Paul, in like almost every beginning of his letter, say, "I'm a bond servant, I'm a slave to Christ"? 
Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because he knows if he wasn't chained to Christ, he would run away back to his sin. <laughs> because yeah. that's what we want. That's what our flesh wants. Mm, I like that a lot. Like it a lot. All right, Dylan. So I want you to give. I know we've already kind of been doing this, but your best mm-hmm. biblical defense. So not philosophical, yeah. but lay it out scripturally. Your best defense for Calvinism, if you're going to try to convince somebody convince. of it. Okay. Let's, okay. Let's so I'll start off with the first point. So I'm just gonna go through the five points uh, with tulip. So tulip, the T stands for total depravity. And the first scripture I have for that, uh, so it's going to be in Romans 3 and verse 10. And it says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like that's a very good summary of what we are in a state, in our dead state, our spiritually dead state. And then you go to something like Romans 6.23, and it says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, right? So like all we do is sin, we've earned death. Uh, and because of that sin, no one is righteous. Like it says in Romans three, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Uh, no one does good, not even one. Now, when I say no one does good, it doesn't mean I'm not saying that a person that isn't saved can't do something that's nice, but they can't do anything that glorify God, glorifies mm-hmm. God. And that's the ultimate end of a Christian yep. is to glorify God. God only God cares about his glory above all. That's the main thing. If we don't, oh, if we aren't glorifying God in something we do, we're probably sinning. Oh yeah. Uh, so that so that would be my defense of the first point of total depravity, uh, is that we're dead in our sin in Romans three that we don't seek after God, what no one does good, right? And then you get onto unconditional election, and the scripture I'm going to use for that one is in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians one. See if I can pull it up so I don't misquote it. <laughs> uh, uh, where is it? it? Takes so long. To... <laughs> Actually, you know what? Let's go to. I'm going to go to Romans nine instead. I'm going to go to Romans nine. I'm going to go back to Romans nine. Love that. Love that chapter. Um. <clears throat> And we're going to go to verse 13 in Romans 9. It says, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So we know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother. And that in that culture, the oldest will get the inheritance and not the younger brother, right? Yep. So, But Jacob got the inheritance, and we know the story of Jacob. Uh, and it says, God himself says, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So he loved Jacob, and Esau he hated. Now, Paul goes on to explain the natural question after this. He says in verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have have compassion. 
so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Mm. Unconditional election, God chooses. God is not unjust on this choosing because he's God. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it does make sense. I think that's the perfect explanation. Why does God, like Shilin says in his song, uh, why yeah. does God choose some some for salvation, not others? It's because God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Definitely. Now, like, I, I can understand people's problems with this, uh, that, you know, God chooses people. But if you're a Christian and you believe that the Bible is inherent, and it has no, it has no error, uh, you know, like as the luxury I have is just going further down in Romans nine to verse twenty one, and it said, "Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured which much pa- with much patience vessels of wrath pre- prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy?" which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Mm. You know, like, God has a right, God has the right to choose because we're his creation. He has the right, he has control over all his creation. He has the right to choose in whatever he wants. Yep. He will show mercy on who he shows mercy on. All right, now let's hear about the L, the the one that's the probably L, yes. controversial of all the points here. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you pointed that out. A lot of people have <laughs> the like most. Of the, so I went to uh, I went to Morehead State, and I was really heavily involved in the Baptist Christian ministry there. And usually, when I had talked about theology and whatever. It can. I came to this point. <laughs> this specific one, the specific one, of limited atonement, is the biggest one people have problems on, um, <laughs> and I, I, I can see why. I guess, but basically, it means that Jesus only died for the ones that the Father has chosen. So the purpose of Jesus' death was, was to pay the punishment of sin. So in like Luke chapter one, it says that he has called Jesus because he will save his people. And then all over we see language of Jesus dying for his sheep and for his friends. Mm. And if Jesus died for the whole world, the whole world would be saved, right? Because <laughs> you don't you don't want to you don't want to say any any of Jesus's blood is wasted because people when people say that you know that there is no elect, if you say that there is no elect, there's no reason for hell. Yes. Thank you. There's no need for hell. Thank there's you. There's no need for hell if you say there's no elect. Yes. See at that, all. That is that this for a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people, this is the most this is probably the hardest one to accept. Mm-hmm. But for me, this was the easiest one to accept because it just logically yeah. makes sense. If Jesus' yeah. death was to pay the punishment for sin. If he, yes, that's why he died. That means <laughs> that if he died for everybody, everyone's sin punishment, everyone's plates of wrath would have been mm-hmm. dealt with. There is no longer any reason for God to punish anybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like I, I, I don't like, and like that's an easy. It just doesn't that that answer does just doesn't do it for people. I've answered so many people. It's like, well. 
if Jesus died for everyone, why is there a hell? And they just kind of look at me and then they go to the free will argument. It's like, well, they didn't choose God. And I'm just like, oh, okay, then we're going to just go to Romans 9. <laughs> Again. And we're going to go to Romans 3. And then we're going to go to Romans 6.23. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's one big circular argument that I can always make with Scripture. Like, I can always be like, okay, we're just going to go back to what I mentioned earlier to explain why free, like, our version, what we think of as free will isn't necessarily what free will is. <laughs> Yeah, that's what a lot of people like, don't understand. But also, I mean, it, I have yet to come across a uh-huh. good argument for how Jesus could have possibly died for everyone's sin, and yet somehow <laughs> God still sends people to hell. I've looked for it. Yeah. I've read many books, and yeah, no. everything just it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, oh, well, they still have yeah. to choose. Well, then why did Jesus <laughs> die? Like, why did Jesus die for them if God knew in eternity past that they weren't going to choose him? It, it still just yeah. doesn't logically, which, I mean, if you really get into the to the studies of, like, good theologians like uh, Jacobus uh-huh. Arminius, who Arminianism is probably the exact opposite of Calvinism, and it was in response to uh, the growth of Calvinism. but uh. He would say that Jesus, Jesus's death, you know, people, everyone will say Jesus's death doesn't apply to everyone. And he will say stuff like, uh, and we also agree with this. And it's really almost extremely similar. Just, just, we go to different conclusions. He will say Jesus's death was enough to pay the sins pay for the sins of everyone in the world if they were to come to him but logically they only apply to those who do come to him and we say the same thing too only Arminius would go on to say that people have that choice while we believe that yes we do have that choice but also not really at the same time God's choice is first and foremost in that so yeah uh, but lim- limited atonement, I, don't, I I just cannot wrap my head around why people have such an issue with that one. Cause it, I, and I know they'll bring up, uh, for God so loved the world, and it's like, oh, the world. <laughs> but <laughs> that's always... That's, it, the, that's their trump card. <laughs> oh, no. says for God so loved the world. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. John Calvin forgot to read John 3.16. <laughs> yeah I, I don't like is is it wrong for god to love his creation like what <laughs> oh okay so like just god just doesn't love his creation <laughs> he doesn't have a general love of creation of the of the thing he created of course he does <laughs> yeah all right so irresistible grace dylan why do we not have right. free will <laughs> well, why do we not have free will okay <laughs> uh so Irresistible grace. We've we've discussed this. Um, this means that if you were chosen by God, you will choose God because it is irresistible. We see this in John when Jesus says, "No man can, mm. right? No man can come to the Son unless they are drawn by the Father, and I will raise and I will raise them up on the last day." Yes, we say that in John. Okay, but we also like I've come across. So I've been I've been reading I've been reading through Matthew. Um, 
so you have the confession of Peter, right? You know, the, the one that Catholics oh, point yep, to and why yep. they have a Pope. Yep. And what is, so like Jesus, so Peter's like that. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do, the, who do they say I am? And they're like, oh, they're, you're the Christ. Um, and then Peter comes up and he's like, you're the son of the living God. And then, right. And then Jesus is like, he says to him, uh, no, or by no earthly means, I'm going to paraphrase. This is really bad, but it's like, by no earthly means has this been revealed to you, but by, this has only been revealed to you by my father in heaven. Mm. Right. Yep. By no logical conclusion, by no amount of studying anything, can we come to the knowledge that Jesus is the son of the living God and he's come to die for us unless the father has revealed that that to us in our heart. There's a difference between a knowledge of God and our relationship with him. We Mm. can know by what the Bible says that Jesus is the son of the living God because it says it in the Bible. But only the Father can reveal that to us in our hearts and make that a heart change. Only the Father, only Jesus can give us a heart, a new heart made of flesh. Only he can make us a new creation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so also, that's a that's, yeah. Uh, bringing up John 3.16, it's like they completely mm-hmm. forget the beginning of that chapter where John or <laughs> Jesus is talking to uh, Nicodemus and he says, uh, yeah. no one, oh, why is my quoting skills bad right now? No one can <laughs> see the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus yeah, a, yeah. is like, what does that mean? Doesn't understand you gotta, that. You got to yeah. be born by the water and the spirit. And yes. So it's like you you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, which you can't grasp the stuff of the kingdom unless the Holy Spirit has come into you and changed your heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I I feel like irresistible grace is the easiest point for people to accept. Yeah. Which is weird. This because irresistible grace proves all the other points. Honestly, to me, all the points prove themselves. You can't have one without yeah. the other. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but because I mean, if if you have perseverance, then that means that there has to be an unconditional election. Well, there has to be some sort of election. If there's an election, then <laughs> you have to see if it's unconditional yeah. or not. Which total mm. depravity? I mean they all go hand in hand and if we're unconditionally elected if we're elected by god that means we're going to persevere because god doesn't change so he's not gonna unelect us <laughs> and it, it they all go in uh, uh go in together on this explanation but uh let's let's discuss the final one perseverance of the saints which in our camp of baptistry, this is the one that most people ac- accept. Even they will accept this yes. one, if not any others. But so let's hear your argument for perseverance of the saints. Okay, so perseverance of the saints is just a really big fancy way of saying once saved, always saved. Uh, mm-hmm. So once you're saved by God, you can't lose your salvation, right? You can't do anything to unearn that, basically. 
so if you go to Romans eight, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, just let's just go to Romans eight real quick, and I'm I'm gonna quote it. Let's just so read, let's just read all of Romans while we're at it. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, Romans 8. I know where you're going with this. Very end of the chapter. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, and basically in the end of the chapter, it talks about nothing Nothing will separate us from God. So in verse 30, I'll start in verse 37. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> mm. and, that, and that sums up the last point of once saved, always saved, the perseverance of the saints. Nothing, nothing in the future, nothing in the past, no outside powers, no inside powers will ever, ever separate us from the love of God because of Jesus Christ, <laughs> our Lord. Yeah. I like how it puts that in the end it said, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And then it's like, in, in Christ Jesus. So it's reiterating, it's only through Christ Jesus that we will never be separated because of the, what he did on the cross. Yep. And I've, I've heard arguments against this where it says, well, yeah, it's talking about the love of God, but not the salvation of God. And it's like, well, you got to... <laughs> <laughs> it just... mentions it mentions Jesus. It, it says Jesus at the end. Why do you think it's Paul? Paul is freaking smart. He's like, yeah, I know you're gonna say that. That's why I put. That's why the Holy Spirit has told me to put Jesus at the end of this. Yeah, because but... we all know what Jesus did. <laughs> yeah, and also you just gotta look at the context of the mm -hmm. fact that it's a letter written to the Church of Romans, and he says, knowing all things, yeah. we we as in the church <laughs> are more than conquerors. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, through him who loved us and then he goes on later to talk about yeah. who god loves and who god hates right god loved jacob hated esau that's literally the next chapter in, in this letter <laughs> yeah. connecting everything yeah. so i mean it, it just to argue that makes no sense but there's so many other verses that talks about uh God holding us true in John, where he's talking, where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, says, "I will uh, hold my sheep," or or the Father holds holds his sheep in his hand, or something, and never lets him go. Paraphrasing yes. because my quotations are awful right now for some reason. I can't get the <laughs> right wording, but uh, yeah. So I think perseverance of the saints for you know our camp and who we usually talk to you know, the Baptists, they will always agree with this one. But also, I think it's always good to uh, say that though though this is basically like once saved, always saved, you're right, that it, once we're saved, yeah. we're always saved. That doesn't mean that you can just go do whatever you want, and that means you're saved. <laughs> um, I think a lot yeah. of a lot of people, especially within the who adopt the fundamentalist tradition within Baptist, the Baptist churches, they will they will talk about once saved, always saved, and act like as long as you've, as long as you said a prayer and got baptized, that means you're always saved. Fire insurance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, that's not that's true. That's all it is. The the perseverance yeah. is the important part there. That means you're going to continue to grow and it's not going to be a perfect growth 
I, I can't remember who it was that gave this demonstration, but we, when you're saved, it will be like going up and then you'll have your downs go up, down, up, down. But generally speaking, throughout your life, you're going to see a increase from where you started, you're, from where you started, which was nothing, a complete, utter, depraved, sinful being. You're, yeah. you're going to see that incline, though you will see declines along the way from where you were like uh a couple days ago but that you'll still be better than where you were pre-salvation so i I do think that's important to talk about because a lot of people who will discuss this and say well you just you just believe in this perseverance of the saints because you want to be able to do what you want it's like no that's not that's not what we believe that's a whole that that's not what we talk about at all when we talk about perseverance of the saints. Um, yeah. Uh, wait one second. Sorry. So, like in First Thessalonians chapter four, it said, "For this is the will of God, will of the God, will of God, your sanctification." And then he goes on that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and want wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. The purpose, like the per- the purpose God has for our life, is the sanctification. What sanctification is is to be more like Christ. Mm. Yep. So when you when you talk about perseverance of the saints, we persevere to be more like Christ. Yep. And uh... even even uh, I think it's in Philippians. Maybe yeah, I think it's I believe it's in Philippians. Paul talks about he's talking to the church of Philippians, and he says, "Well, if you can't be an imitator of Christ, be an imitator of me, because I imitate Christ." Yep, exactly. And uh, oh, what was I gonna say? It just it, John in his his first book talks about. Mm-hmm how the evidence of a believer or not and we do have to be careful because i do think the context is looking at other people and not being fooled by leaders and not really Mm -hmm. even though it does imply selfward too for for oneself i think that's where luther martin luther's theology comes in the handy when you're trying to understand this uh when you do good works you shouldn't look at that as I'm doing this to show evidence of my salvation, because then you're yeah. turning you're turning that into workspace salvation. It, mm, you should yes. be you sh- the only reason you should be doing good works is f- first and foremost to glorify God, and the second reason is to uh, show love towards neighbor. Yes. Right, the two greatest commandments: love God with all your heart, so and your neighbor as yourself. So the yes. two main reasons you do good works is not for your own salvation, but for God and for others. Mm-hmm. So, so don't you? Yeah. But that's still, I don't think, takes away from the fact that there's going to be evidence. There's going to be good works coming out of believers. So it's, oh, definitely. It's not just fire insurance, and that's yeah. what that's very important to realize. Um, all right, I, I like that a lot. I think that's a really good uh, biblical argument for Calvinism. Now let's let's answer some questions a lot of people will have when trying to okay. when they don't like hearing Calvinism when they're trying to argue against it. Um, 
One thing is uh, with Romans, especially when it comes to talking about Romans 9 and God choosing, a big thing about Calvinism and why we think it's so important is because it it emphasizes the sovereignty of God in everything that happens, right? We believe that God is in control of everything, and so that means if something happens— it's because he wanted it to happen. Now, the argument a lot of people will have is, well, doesn't that mean God is the author of sin? If everything happens because he wanted it to happen, does that mean he is the author of sin? Does that mean that he created sin? What, what would your response to that be, Dylan? Okay. So my response would be, see if I can find the first. Uh, uh, well, I couldn't find it, but <laughs> it's. Uh, I know it says that God is the is not the author of evil, right? Yeah, uh, and then. So, like, you go to something as, like, First Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter fourteen. It says, "For God is not the, uh, is not a God of confusion, but of peace." Um, God, <laughs> just because God chooses doesn't mean, and he he chooses some but not others. It doesn't mean he's wrong for that. I mean, Paul answers that is God not just in this? He has he has every right over his own creation. Uh, we also forget that God is holy and perfect. And the Bible throughout gives us examples of how perfect and holy of God and holy God is. Sin will basically be wiped away in His presence, right? Yeah. God is not the author of evil. He, everything God is is good. Yep. There's nothing evil within God. Like I don't know. This is probably. I don't know. So, like when I think of sin. A lot of times, I don't know if this is a wrong view, and correct me if it is a wrong view, but it's basically like when sin entered the world, it was sin was the only thing that we were ever responsible for. That we actually like had, you know, like it was the only thing we were ever responsible for, and we screwed it up big time. <laughs> you know, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like God was responsible for everything else, and we were responsible for sin. <laughs> and. uh yeah, but also I think it's important to address just because we believe that God is sovereign and he allows all things to happen, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that he He makes it. So this is where free will comes into the discussion is how do we understand free mm-hmm. will within Calvinism? Yeah. So we we believe in free will in a sense, technically, but not how most people believe in free will. We believe yes. that people uh have the free will to choose many things but they can't choose god because they don't want to it's not that god is making sure they don't choose him and he's just actively like they're trying to come to him he's like no get away like kicking their forehead like (laughs) you can't can't come in no (laughs) they don't want him that that's that's the thing so when we talk about irresistible grace god is not 
pulling unwanted sinners to him saying, you got to accept me. No, he's giving us the ability to choose him. And when he gives us that ability, we are inevitably going to choose him because it says those who he calls are justified. He also justifies. So, uh, so when it comes to that, that means that people are still going to do what they want, but God is also going to make sure his will comes to flourishing. So, uh, when we talk about sin, sin is something man wanted to do. Sin is something uh-huh. man chose to do. But God allowed that to happen, which means he wanted it to happen. If yeah. by, by he wanted it to happen, I mean it, it was his will for it to happen. It was his will for all this to come. For why? Right. No, one, uh, no one knows. But just... And then you got to get to down to, well, is it evil to not stop evil? And I, the Bible does not say anything about that. I, I don't no. think, I don't think we can, you can make any sound argument that it's evil to not stop evil. That's man's I thinking of righteousness. God, God saw mm. it best for his glory to allow sin to happen. So that so yeah. we don't, we don't believe that he made man to sin, but he obviously could have stopped it. <laughs> oh, there, yes, yes. Uh, like I like how you point. It's like it was for God's will. It brought like God's will is always gonna be uh, worried about how much glory he gets. And whenever God makes a decision, it's because that and why he makes that decision because it brings him the most glory. So when we look at why did God let sin into the world, well. Without that decision, we would have never had the cross. Exactly. And we know ultimately, with the cross and the resurrection, that gave God the most glory. Right? He gave the Son. He he made the Son's name known above all names. Right? That gave God the most glory. Yeah, I mean, how God is always interested in His glory. He always yeah. is. Not to say He's a narcissist because He's not. <laughs> yeah, I think if anyone has the right to be a narcissist it'd be god yeah <laughs> but uh because yes. i mean he's he's the creator he deserves worship yeah but, but also yeah like like you said if it wasn't for sin we would never know that god could defeat death we would never know mm, that god yes. could defeat defeat satan we would never know mm. how what God can actually accomplish if it wasn't for him actually accomplishing it. So yes, him allowing sin to enter the world is just him maximizing his glory. Yeah. And and so some people, Dylan would say, well, that's, that's harsh. Like Mm. why, like why hell is an eternal, uh, uh, what's the word? Why am I not? I mean, people are eternally damned Punished. to hell. Yeah, uh, tortured. That's the word. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Yeah. They're they're eternally tortured in hell, all because yeah. God wanted to show His glory. How does that seem loving and right? Well, my so. Okay. When we think of God, God is love and God is all these things, uh, we like to assign that, you know, we give human attributes to God, 
to make him more like us, which mm. is ultimately wrong because he's nothing like us because we're broken and sinful people and he's holy and perfect and we can never imagine what that looks like until we die and we ultimately see him, right? Um, so his like version of love, his version of perfection, uh, his version of holiness is completely different from ours. Mm. And the Bible tells us this. And that, and it tells us that we'll never really have a full understanding of what all that means. Uh, but also to like answer the question, can you say your question one more time, actually? Uh, basically is why would God create us and do all, all this for his glory, even though it's still causing many people to be eternally tortured in hell? Mm. My answer to that is, uh, it, you go back to Romans. You go back to Romans nine, verse twenty-one. It says, "Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory, vessels of His mercy, which is which He has prepared beforehand for glory?" God has a right over his own creation. Like, it might sound harsh, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, and we also have to realize, like like, like I said before, man still chooses to sin, which means man yeah. deserves that punishment because they are responsible yes. for their own decisions. Yes. Which is something, it's, it's like it gets messed up with it, like, like, it's either one or the other, God's sovereignty or man's responsibility. It's like they can't coexist together. But man is still responsible for what they choose to do. Just because God allows it to happen does not mean that they do not still hold the responsibility for their actions. They do. And they deserve to be punished for that because God deemed it that way. That is what justice means. And for God to be a just God, he must punish sinners. Yeah, uh, and I think in Romans 7, Paul kind of hits on this uh, a little bit. And he says in verse 16, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry, out, carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the, swin that, the, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do is right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging, waging war against the law of the mind, making me captive to a law of sin that dwells in my wretched man that I that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to, be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law, serve the law of sin. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Dude, that is good stuff. I love hearing that. But yeah, it's true. We are we are evil. There's nothing in us that that wants to do good. So therefore, it's either either we're going to have, have that punishment or Jesus mm -hmm. took that punishment for us. It's one one or the other. And uh, yeah, 
and the call, this is one thing I want to make sure to mention, and I'm going to mention it now so I don't forget to mention it, is that Calvinists do not believe. One of the objections to Calvinism is that we don't evangelize to people. We don't believe the gospel call should go out yes. to the whole world. Yes. No, we do believe that, and we do do it. You People act like Calvinists are not at the forefront in modern day evangelism and missions. I mean, our IMB uh, president, the international mission board president of the Southern Baptist convention, uh, the last one, not the one now, but David Platt is a Calvinist. Uh, yeah. Some of the greatest yeah. missionaries like Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones was a Calvinist. Mm. And, uh, and there's so many, so many good pastors going out and giving people the good news who also believe in yes. Calvinism. We do believe that the gospel call should go out to everybody and that everyone has the opportunity to repent and come to Christ. We just don't believe they will unless God calls them uh, supernaturally, spiritually speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, hmm. uh, so, like, if you realize what total depravity means, that we are truly dead in our sin, and we have no hope, and we serve the master's sin, uh, and that's no good for us, and the wages of sin is death, and that's all it will lead to. Why wouldn't that make you want to evangelize? That's, that's yeah. you know, yeah. as a Calvinist, like you come to that realization, like that's how far my sin has led me. That is where sin leads everyone. Mm. Of course, I want to give them. I want to share the gospel with them. I want to share them. I want to share the hope that I have, Christ. And I want to tell them why I have that hope. Mm. You know? Yep. It also gives me an assurance that, you know, that it's not up to me to save them. All, all, all my job is is to share the gospel with them. Yes. Yes. Only God can do the saving. I can't do the saving. Yes. Right? Like, I have no power in that at all. Exactly. If if it comes up to human determination to come to mm -hmm. Jesus, if it comes if it's human determination, that means we have the responsibility to try to convince people, and yeah. that that puts a huge burden on the believer, because if someone doesn't come to Jesus, then you can't help but think, well, I just didn't do a good enough job. But yeah. with the understanding of Calvinism, you understand no. They don't believe because they can't believe, and that's up to yeah. God to bring it to them. It's not my responsibility to do it one way or another. It, no man is going to present the gospel perfectly. It's impossible to yeah. do. So <clears throat> we have yeah. to rely on God himself to do the work of salvation, which I believe that non-Calvinists also believe that. I just don't think mm -hmm. they can logically argue it. But— uh. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh let's let's bring up a couple more things. So Second Peter three nine, Dylan. Second Peter okay. three nine, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, mm -hmm. Dylan, it says God doesn't want anyone to perish, and he wants all to repent. So how how does that make yeah. sense within the worldview of Calvinism? 
God wants you to be good. <laughs> God wants you to understand what is right. Uh, <laughs> he wants. <laughs> but well, but if he wants all to he come loves to his creation. Uh, <laughs> if he wants all to come, he has to a general love for all creation. <laughs> so, so if he if he has a general love for all creation, why wouldn't he just mm-hmm. bring everyone to salvation? If if he has the ability to do so, why not just do it? Because that's not glorifying to him. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Because Jesus' blood would be wasted on the cross. Yeah. There would be no need for hell. You know, we already talked about this. There would be no need for hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's there a good be point. No need for, there would be no need for Romans 9. That uh, he will make some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. There would no, be no need for that. Mm. Yep. And so this is this is probably this and a couple other verses that sound like it is the main ones people would bring up to argue Calvinism. See, and they'll just be like, see, see, he wants all to come to repentance. But mm. we have to realize first, I think we have to realize context of who Peter's writing to. I think you can make a decent, yeah. decent argument, contextually speaking, that uh, here when Peter says he doesn't. Uh, not wishing any should perish, but that all should uh, reach repentance. I think Peter's talking about the ones who he's writing to. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, the so, church. Yeah. yeah, you have to ask any of who, any anyone writ- written in this letter, any person alive, right? All of who. You have to ask those questions when reading it. You can't yeah. just can't just say C and then expect that interpretation to be correct. Now, could that interpretation yeah. be correct? I, th- I think it's, it, it's also possible, but I, I do think the best thing, the best way to interpret this verse is to say any of you should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. Because, mm. <clears throat> uh, again, we have to remember that the majority of of the books of the New Testament were letters written to specific churches, specific groups of people. And even though, yes, they were to be passed around to other churches, that doesn't mean that there's still not an audience. When you're interpreting Scripture, you have to interpretate it in the way that it was written, the way that it was meant to be read when it was written, mm. not how, what it means to you today. So you have to ask yeah. these questions when you're interpreting Scripture in verses like this. And you also have to realize there's no contradiction within Scripture. So it has to play and harmonize with the other verses that seem to say the opposite, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, we're reaching an hour so i don't i don't want to overexhaust this conversation people's written many books there's been many uh-huh. sermons preached on this and so you yeah. can do your do research and get more into it i think this is a good starter cuz the purpose for this is i just want i want all this to be a starter for the common man to start thinking mm-hmm. things through this is not meant to be extremely intellectual but just something to get people more thinking I think we're doing a good job. I do want to end in this talk uh, uh, with saying this is this is the best way. This is the way that really got me to just embrace Calvinism. I think this is the best explanation 
not biblically speaking, but in a philosophical term, this this is the best way to explain it. Why is it, Christian, that you of all people were able to embrace salvation and someone else mm-hmm. wasn't? Why is it that people who are smarter than me, like uh-huh. Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. who are or or even Charles Darwin or other scientists, people who are way smarter than me, are able to or were not able to embrace the gospel logically, but I was. Why were people who are way more, in a secular sense, moral than me, like Mahatma Gandhi, who was probably a much better person than I ever could be? I think everybody's a whole lot better than I could ever be. I I try to keep a Paul mindset of I am the chief of all sinners. Mm-hmm. But um, how can people who are obviously better than me not embrace this gospel, but I can? Why is that? Is it because I have some kind of? Is it because I'm better than them in some way, shape, or form, or is it because God decided to have mercy on me? for whatever reason he decided, right? Calvinism is meant to be humbling. It's meant to make the sinner realize that the only reason we come to God is because of God himself. A lot of people yeah. look at uh, Reformed dudes, Calvinistic dudes, and, and this is a true problem. We there's a lot of arrogant ones out there, a lot of ones who think they're smarter than everybody else, who will yeah. act like they're better than everybody else, and that is, it is a true problem within the Calvinistic world. But the theology is really truly meant to be humbling. It's to show you that you are no good, but God is great, and because of that, yeah. that is why we come to Him. We are meant to be humble servants of Him. Like- I'm glad you said that. All I was going to say is that you know, Calvinism—it's—it sh- it shifts the focus not on you but on God. Yes. At every point, it makes about God. Yeah, it, God gets all the glory; we get none. We lower ourselves, and we so that way we can lift up God, right? What? How? Oh, what verse is that? I can't. I think it's in you Luke. Must increase, but I must decrease. Yes. Yes. First John, I believe, or maybe I think. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember where exactly it is. But uh, let me look it up so that way I can quote it. Or uh, shoot, I must decrease. John three. I'm an idiot. John yeah. three. John three thirty. Uh, first thirty. Yeah, as soon yes. as you said you that. Increase, yep, John three thirty. So yes. we got to keep that mindset. I think Calvinism is the best way to decrease ourselves and to increase God himself. But uh, like I said, uh, I'm hoping to get a a pastor who reached out to me on here and talk about uh, why me and Dylan are wrong. (laughs) 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 And I'm always welcome to it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I think that should be fun. I, I don't know this cat. He uh, reached out because he heard the podcast. I think he's 
he's related to one of my mom's friends. So he hasn't reached out though. So if you're if you're listening, I don't I don't even know his name, but you know who you are if you're listening. Reach out to me. I am free. Let's do this. <laughs> but uh <laughs> please. <laughs> I don't want to talk to Dylan anymore. <laughs> but thank please th- no. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dylan, for coming on here and discussing Calvinism with me. I I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, I think. I hope you had fun. But uh, this this is just like our uh, midnight car rides. This is exactly what we do. (laughs) Exactly. Which is, I hope to have you on a whole lot more because I think me and you discussing things is interesting, and we bring we can bring out the best in each other. I think in our in our thought process. So, which is why I like talking with you about stuff. Um, if any of you all out there want to discuss anything, bring up a conversation, whether it be uh, uh, religious, whether it be political, whether it be something crazy, you know, like if you want to discuss uh, LGBT rights, if you want to discuss why they shouldn't have rights, if you want. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> If you want to discuss, you know, socialism, capitalism, if you want to discuss uh, universal basic income, I don't care. Whatever you're interested in, I want to start having conversations. I want to start doing research on stuff. And I want other people to see that there's a lot more to opposite views than what we've first come in contact with. Like me and Dylan said, we were anti-Calvinism for the long well Dylan it wasn't a real long time because he's only been a believer five years but for me it was it was years of being anti-Calvinist trying to argue against it trying my best not to embrace it and finally it just took over me and so you got to knock down the biases in your mind and actually hear the arguments being presented and not the other way around but um yeah so thanks a lot and we'll see you next time bye-bye see you. bye bye